Psalm 119. What a great passage for understanding having a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. I think many of us, we go through the motions in life, but we are uh, failing to live out that Christian life. You know, I want to uh, I want to start off this series for the next three weeks on probably a passage of Scripture that people use and abuse. I think we're at a loss for words sometimes as what to say to people through loss, through hardship, through some of the bad things that go on in their life, and we are at a void We're at a loss, not understanding really how to communicate clearly, effectively, probably showing some empathy and yet some sympathy because we deal with so much loss in our lives. Loss in marriage, loss financially, loss with loved ones, people pass away. And people will shake their fist at me and they'll say to me often, Pastor, I'm just angry. I'm mad. And I give them that blank look, like many of us do, because we don't know how to respond to them. We don't know what to say or, or how to really engage in that conversation. Because when somebody's that bitter and angry, how do we actually communicate love at a time when somebody has internal rage? So I have to say, That today's message, why do bad things happen to good people? One of my number one questions, because we we always refer them right to Romans chapter 8. And we know all things work together for good. And, you know, sometimes I just feel like that is just dead and meaningless. And yet, even as a pastor, I find myself caught in that same type of feeling. What do I say to them? Sometimes I just want to look at a sit down and go, yeah, I know, I get it. Life stinks, doesn't it? It's awful. And they give them that same look they were giving me. Would that be the right thing to do? I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know. But I do know what the Scripture has to say, and I think I can kind of point you there and turn you to where and what we deal with in our life. So I'm driving back from from Louisville last evening and uh, it started to sprinkle and we have a uh, camper park model down there. And so uh, last couple weeks we have been opening it up and a lot of times I come home on a Saturday uh, evening. And uh, but I was traveling home. Becky had already left earlier and, and I was thinking, for whatever reason, I started to get real discouraged. And just all these emotions started to flood me. And I started feeling like sort of down. Because I don't know what Satan was doing at that moment in my life, but I think he was trying to, to steer me in this direction of, oh, you haven't done anything. And look what's going on in your life. I know. It, it, it's okay. So by the time I made it from, you know, 619 to 532, 43 area, up in that area, I was discouraged. So I got home and I was listening to the song, uh, King of My Heart, uh, today, because I know that was a new song that we introduced. And 
My wife gave me the reminder, honey, make sure you know the song. And when I don't know the song, I just dodge right off this stage, fly right into the front seat. Just kidding. Although I did do that today, but I did my homework and I studied like I was told to, right? So anyhow, uh, my wife spends a lot of time in prayer and she spends a lot of time choosing the songs so that it can minister to our hearts. We don't want to just come to, the, come to church. We want to meet Christ here. We want to meet him where we're at in this journey of life because life stinks. And so as I, I went in the house, she says, well, what is your message going to be? And I said, well, you know, I'm kind of leaning towards, because every Saturday evening I, I really sat down and I put all my thoughts on papers I've been reading and studying all week. I said, you know, I think I'm going to stare towards why do bad things happen to good people? And you know what? I preached that message once. So I went up into my office and I sat down on the floor and it was probably about 15 minutes into it as I was going through messages all the way back from when we started the church 17 years ago. And my heart became heavy. And my heart became uh, just burdened. Burdened for life. Burdened for just what has happened through our journey as a church body. Our journey as a community. The ups and downs. I remember picking up some messages and saying to myself, I would never preach that message now. And it was about an hour later that I texted my wife, and she was downstairs, and I was upstairs. Those are the most endearing ones, aren't they? They're, you're just letting them know you're thinking about them. That was after I had this lump, and I'm up there wiping my eyes, and I'm crying. Because God reminded me, hey, Todd, there comes growth in your life. You don't have to go back and preach what you preached when you started the church. Your community and congregation and body is not there any longer. I'm just glad that we're finally right before adults, right? We're 17 years old. We're teenagers. Life is ahead of us, right? What God is going to do in the great horizon as we embark on 18, 19, 20, right? We become adults and mature. And, uh, but as I looked at that, my heart really was, was really grieved within my spirit. And I sat there and I wrote my wife and I said, those moments when you look at your life and you ask the why, the what, the where, who, how, why am I doing this? Am I tired? Am I exhausted? What is going on as we're, you know, embarking on, you know, moving into the parsonage and the changes that have been made and the interferences that take place with, you know, getting out of house and remodeling it and, you know, running a business and running a church. And I just actually wanted to fall, fall over as I, you know, came in the house because I was tired and having a little pity party for myself. And God then reminded me, Todd, listen. What you went through was part of what I needed you to go through. You're not the same man you used to be. Hallelujah. You're not the same guy that you once were. You're not even the same pastor you were even ten years ago. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to take... The next three weeks, and I'm going to talk about God is good. And I know for some, as tomorrow we lay to rest, you know, Jerry's mom, and we bring closure to the loss of his mother. And the loss and that pain that comes with that. And yes, grief and mourning, you journey through all kinds of emotions. 
Then I'm going to center my whole message around a story of a, a man and woman that were missionaries. And you want to talk about loss. You want to talk about pain. You want to talk about uh, the, the feeling of anger and abandonment. And you think that you serve the Lord. And, you know, there are people in my life that I have given my heart to. I love them. And they're no longer a part of our ministry. They're no longer a part of my life. But I have, I've come to realize in this life that it's okay. We're all on a different journey. And bad things are going to happen. But God is good. So look around you and tell your neighbors, God is good. So today, I proclaim, it's all good. It's all good in the hood. I was saying that. Mm -hmm. Hey, I need that kind of feedback while I'm preaching, right? Come on. And uh, I, wanted, I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And I, I wasn't going to, going to go into the whole chapter today, but I want to lead up to something. Because I believe that in our life we battle with the spirit, we battle with the flesh. And if you're a teenager in here, you battle with the flesh as much as the spirit. Because right now is this point in your life where you're making some big decisions on how you're going to serve the Lord. Now, I'm living proof. And for some of you young adults, you can say to me, oh, yeah, you're living proof, old man, now that you've embarked into the 50s. That might be right. But I must tell you this, that I love the Lord with all my heart. And I'm glad that I can look back over my life and know that the same temptations, the same hardships... The same addictions, the same hang-ups, the same habits that each and every one of you deal with, I have to deal with. And I have dealt with. We're not exempt. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Now watch what it says in Romans chapter 8, and you can follow with me up here on the screen. In verse 1 it says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by setting His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Wow! We could stop right there and say, where your face is turned is where your focus goes. Are you focusing on the flesh, just the temporal pleasures of life? Are you focusing on the eternal? Is your mind set on the kingdom? Is it more about the spirit world than it is of this material world that soon will fade away and be gone? So then it continues to say, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Wow, hold on just a minute. And I want to challenge you right now. 
Are you walking in the flesh? Because it says now, and I don't think I need an interpretation of this. It says that if you are walking in the flesh, you cannot please God. So today we make this real. This becomes personal for each and every one of us. What is it that you have bowed the knee to? What is it you have allowed your flesh to, to yield to in your life? Because I know that in this walk, in this journey of life, yeah, I've wanted to give up. Last night when I was sitting on that floor and I, I was weeping over the messages and blows my mind because God has met me. And all 800 of those messages that I have preached over the years, God met me as I cried over this. Those were nights that I remember crying, weeping over them. I sat there for a half an hour. And I'm not saying this so that you could show empathy to me. I'm just explaining to you how selfish of me, how self-centered of me to think that Almighty God, that the Holy Spirit was there with me, and speaking to me, and yet I became selfish last night and said, what is all this for? Because we realize that I was doing what? Yielding to the flesh. And I'm sorry, and I'm guilty of it. I can't please God when I continue to say, all right, here I am. I'm going to give you my will. I'm going to give you my mind, Satan. But we've got to let go of that and say, God, I'm going to give you my will. I'm going to give you my mind. I'm going to give you my spirit. And we're all in this together. And the reason why we're here today is because we struggle and we struggle hard. Temptation is hard. I mean, it's difficult. But I, can, I believe that each and every one of us can say our number one total goal here at New Hope Talmadge as children of the Most High God, as Christ, as our Savior, that we want to please Him. Would you agree? Amen. So then the Scripture continues to read there, and it says this in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you but if by the spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live for as many as are led of the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. Fourteen verses. Was this convicting? That's amazing to me. Paul really knew how to expound on Romans chapter 8. Then he continues in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The reason why it says Abba, Father is because what he's trying to explain there is that once you have a relationship with Almighty God, you can take that interpretation and it's called Daddy. Some of you call your father Dad, Papa, Pops, Dad. Daddy, how'd you like that? Daddy, 
I just hope you show respect and honor. But this is what's happening here. He says, and then we cry out because we have that relationship with Abba Father. It now becomes personal in our walk. And then the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you see that correlation? Do you see the comparison? And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now stay with me if you would. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to Futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For it says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body for we were saved in this hope but hope that is seen is not hope for why does one still hope for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we eagerly wait for it with perseverance likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And then we conclude with Romans 8:28, And we know all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who who are called according to his purpose. Let us pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that, Lord, we can, we can hear the word, understand the word and its clarity. So, Father, today, no matter who's in this room, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, you'll speak into their mind. You'll speak into their heart. Lord, you'll challenge us to be better, to understand that it's all good. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter, no matter if the finances are terrible right now, it's still good. Because you said it is good. So, Father, today, we thank you for this. Hide me behind the cross. Speak through me today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Now I want to bring up Psalm chapter 27, verse 13, and it says this. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In Jeremiah 29, 11, many of you know this. And it says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Every day I start in my prayer room. I'm on my knees and I said, Lord, I know that there's a hope for me, that there's a future for me. I don't know what you have planned for me today, but I know this, it's all good for you declared it and now i'm going to speak it and i declare it today and then we know the verse and we know all things work together for good in romans eight twenty eight, and we know all things work together for good to them that love the lord and are called according 
to his purpose. Now, that's a wonderful verse of Scripture. But I think that sometimes we don't really understand what it is saying. Some people seem to think that it's telling us that God has promised those who love him that everything that will happen to them will be good. And that is not true. That is not what God is promising at all. And this morning I want to take you on a journey. I want to take you on a journey of emotion. I want to take you on a journey of a couple, a missionary. This was back in 1921. A missionary couple named David and Svea Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa. To what was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons. And soon the four of them felt led by the Lord to move out of the central mission station and take the gospel to one of the more remote areas of the Congo. At the village of Nadalera, they were rebuffed by the chief who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. So the two couples decided to go half a mile away and build their own huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. Their only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs. Think about this. Twice a week. Svea Flood, she was just this tiny little lady, four feet, eight inches tall, decided that if the boy was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead him to Jesus. And in fact, over a period of time, she did just that. She succeeded. But there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria struck one of their members of their little group after another. In time, the Ericsons decided they had enough suffering and left for the relative security of the central mission station. Then in the middle of this primitive wilderness, Svea found herself pregnant. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, whom they named Ayana. The delivery, however, was difficult, and Svea was already weak from malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow to her stamina, and she lasted only another 17 days, and then she died. Inside, David Flood, the missionary, something snapped. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and then took his children back to the central mission station. What happened next was profound. He then gave his newborn daughter to the Ericsons. He snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he left, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. It's true. Sometimes tragic things happen, even in the lives of those who seek to walk closest to him. Bad things do happen to good people. And that is just where this passage of Scripture comes in to give a message of encouragement and hope to assure us 
that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The very next verse tells us what his purpose is. It says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, that he might be conformed. Do you understand what that means? It means that God is working through everything that happens in the lives of those who love him to help us become more and more like Jesus. No matter what the problem or heartache may be, if we love him and we let him, even the problems we face in life can be a glorious part of this process. And I know it's difficult for some of you to think that right now. Maybe where you're at and what you're doing, it's, it's hard to think that there is a glorious process that we're going through that is a wonderful process. For example, this morning I want us to look at three specific blessings that come into our lives through our problems. And as we see how God has used problems in the past to bring about great, great blessings, it will help us in the problems that we face today. Number one, God uses problems to direct and shape us. Number one, let me say that again. God uses problems to direct and shape us. You got it, brother? All right, praise the Lord. The difficult thing we experience in life, big and small, not random, freak accidents or streaks of bad luck, they're allowed and at times even orchestrated by God to direct us, to shape us into the image of Jesus. Listen to this. Picture a large rock. We have a lot of them around this property. We have a lot of rocks around here. So if you have a problem picturing a rock, after service, step outside and stare at one, right? Now picture, picture a large rock in the middle of a barren field. Sitting there by itself, it's ordinary, overlooked, and without much use. But in the hands of a master sculptor, it can become a masterpiece. Your life is much like that rock. Even though you can't see it right now, God has been busy creating something breathtaking in you. He has. Through everything you've endured, through that confusing situation you're facing right now, God is with you. The problem is that we can't see what He's doing while it's happening. That's a big issue. All we see are the chips flying, the chisels blow, is an evidence that God has left us or is angry with us, but rather that God is right in front of us, eyeing our progress, smoothing the rough edges, patiently bringing the image of Jesus out in us. The Bible says this in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. Trials of many kinds. That's specifically what we're talking about. Events allowed or orchestrated by God. That's what God uses to shape us into the image of Jesus. In fact, James says those things to do what? To complete us. And I'm living proof to tell you today that through 17 years of ministry, 
through 30 years of marriage, there's twists and turns. There's bumps. There's valleys. There's mountaintops. There's all kinds of emotion that goes through your lifetime. But I want you to know, and I assure you, that even in James when it says he's doing all this to do what? Don't worry about the trials of many kinds. Know this, that he's doing it to complete you. Do you know that my dad was married four times, my mom was married three? That's a lot. But I never looked back over life and said, man, can you believe what just happened? Can you believe? I just can't. I mean, goodness gracious, four people, three, four, I'm losing track. I don't do that. Let me explain something to you. Circumstances come. But I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know without a shadow of doubt that it's helped to complete me in my life. I needed what I went through. Maybe if you're somebody in here today, then maybe you're going through some struggles. Maybe some things aren't looking good in your life. Maybe divorce has been knocking at the door. I want you to know this. God's going to help you get through this. And it seems, now be careful, I didn't say I'm condoning divorce. I didn't say I'm promoting divorce. What I'm saying is that God will help us in those valley moments when we need him the most. God uses problems to direct and shape us. Number two, God uses problems to correct us. God uses problems to correct us. Secondly, God can also use problems to correct us. Sometimes we may be stuck in a rut. God uses problems to change our directions in life. It isn't that we're doing anything wrong. It's just that we need a new direction. There are other times when we're definitely wrong. We have strayed into sin and we need God's correction, his discipline, in order to have our fellowship restored with him. So God will use some problems in our life to stimulate us to think about the sin that we have fallen into and to correct our behavior. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? We all know that. We all know that God was kind of, he strayed into sin and God was using that to, to discipline him. And we knew that he was surrounded with wealth, but he wanted that wild lifestyle. He wanted that wild living. He was fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and not walking in the spirit. So in Luke chapter 15, it says this, a certain man had two sons. You can follow with me up here. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. What that means is that he was broke as a joke. And he needed some things. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, it just doesn't get any worse for a Jew than to end up feeding pigs. And actually, the story says that the pigs were better off than he was. Sad story, but true. For it says that he longed just to be able to eat the food that was being given to the pigs. Finally, the problems got to be too much for him, and he began to correct his attitude and his actions. He admitted his sins, repented of them, and turned his steps towards home once again. And by the way, do you realize that when we deliberately stray from what we know is right, God has promised to correct us? He says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, here's what it reads. And you have forgiven the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he loves, whom he receives. Let me summarize this for you. God knows how devastating sin can be. And when we yield, he has promised to correct us. So when we're having problems after problem, maybe we need to ask ourselves and God if there is some area in our life that God is trying to correct in us. Not all problems are allowed for the purpose of correcting us, but some are. How many of you can say, you don't have to raise your hands. I know what it's like. To lie with pigs. I know what it's like to eat with swine. I know what it's like to be at the end of myself. I know what it's like to be empty. Well, church, there's a promise that in the scripture, and you're going to say this with me, it's all good. Say that with me. It's all good. But God has to bring us to the end of ourself in order for us to get to the beginning of a deeper relationship with him. For some of us in the room, here's where it becomes personal. It keeps going on and on and on and on and on. You know why that? Because he loves you. Because in his word it says he chastens you. You know, even with my kids, I love them. So I have to keep them in here. Now they're all adults. My wife and I are empty nesters. So it is what it is, right? But I still pray for them. I still tell them what I think. They don't ask me. I just tell them. Over and over and over. Because this father loves his children. And that's how it works. So if your parents have to set you down and give you a good talking to, maybe they've already gone through all of the pain and suffering. And what they're trying to do right now in your life is to free you from eating with pigs, fellowshipping with the swine, smelling like poo-poo. Because it is kind of crappy. You know, years ago, I said that in the pulpit after service, somebody walked up. That was years ago. And they said, Pastor, you can't use that word crap in the pulpit. I said, I can't. I just did. He left the church. You know what I said to him? Well, that was crappy. Just thought I'd tell you. Now, I'm going to get back on point here this morning. Point number three. I just wanted to make sure you guys were following me. Point number three. God uses problems to protect us. This is my last point. 
God uses problems to protect us. Finally, sometimes God uses problems to protect us, and we can see that illustrated in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. You know his story, don't you? Many of us are familiar with that. Joseph was obviously his father's favorite son, and as a result of this favoritism, his brothers were filled with hatred. They were filled with bitterness. They were filled with jealousy towards him. And one day their hatred boiled over and they sold him as a slave to a caravan traveling to Egypt. And it all happened so quickly. One moment he was the favorite son. The next morning getting anything he wanted. And then the next morning he was in chains and being sold into slavery. Life couldn't seem to be any worse for poor old Joseph. But God had a purpose. And God had a plan in his life and for his life. He was watching over him. Now watch this. He was protecting him. He, because why? He loved him. Even though Joseph didn't realize it at that time. He didn't see it then. The story of Joseph's life is a remarkable one. And only the miraculous hand of God could have accomplished it. Taking him out of slavery and making him a ruler in Egypt, second only in power to Pharaoh himself. Years later, during the time of severe famine, Joseph saw his brothers once again, and when they came to Egypt to beg for the privilege of buying food, and of course, you know that at first they had no idea that this Egyptian ruler standing before them was their brother. It was Joseph. But finally, Joseph... Revealed himself to them. When that happened, his brothers were petrified with fear and begged Joseph not to kill him. Joseph knew how much his brothers had hated him, but he also saw the hand of God working in his own life. And how God had protected him through it all. So listen to what Joseph said to his brothers, and we'll read together. Genesis chapter 45, 4 through 8, and then we'll wind down the message this morning. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, from whom you sold into Egypt. But now do therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me before you to to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a, a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. It says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Church, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. This is what Joseph is saying to his brothers. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh. Lord of his entire household and ruler over Egypt. So here's what we must learn. We must learn to trust God. 
Even when problems come, he will direct and shape us. He'll correct us, protect us. For he has promised to work out all things for the good of those who love him. I used to run a company in Macedonia. And I was assistant to the CEO, and they were the owners of the company. I was responsible for 500 employees up in Boston Heights, and I'm responsible for 500 employees in Bolivar, Tennessee. The company had caught on fire, and at the time I was an assistant pastor and a youth pastor in Ravenna. And I remember the owner of the company, they called me up on the phone, and they said, hey, Todd, we're going to send up Bobby, who was our chauffeur. He's going to pick you up, and we're going to go to the Hudson Country Club. So we got in the car, and we started moving in that direction. Linda's to the right. I'm in the back. We're sitting in the back seat. I thought it was a big deal when I was 26 years old, and it really wasn't a big deal. It was a tall, thin, pencil-head guy with big glasses. Thank you, sweetheart. I was waiting for it. Come on. And I remember the question she asked me. She said, Todd, can I ask you a question? I know there's been a lot of stuff that's gone on here. I know there's been a lot of problems in the company financially. The company caught on fire. We're moving everything to Bolivar, Tennessee. I would like to know if you would go down there and run our company for us. And I said, and I turned very kindly to her, and I said, Linda, I have prayed about it, and I'm just waiting for God's directive. And she said, oh. Okay, I said, well, you you do know that I'm also a youth pastor. I'm also an assistant pastor of this church, a minister of music. I can't just leave. I've got to pray about this. And I want to do what's best for Becky and I. And she proceeded to say the very number, the very word that she and I had been praying about. And this is how God works all things out for our good. She looks at me and she says, If you think I can give you an $8,000 raise with the company catching on fire here, I can't do that. It's impossible. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I was was just getting into the moment. I started shaking it off on me. I'm like, what just happened? Angels started singing. Kind of freaked me out for a moment. Come on, I'm 26 years of age, remember? I was young and immature. But I went to God and I prayed about it. And I said, God, if you give me $8,000, and we both prayed about it, we'll move to Bolivar, Tennessee. Down by Memphis, Tennessee. I'll get to go to Opera, Graceland or whatever Elvis is down there. We'll enjoy just that area that's nasty. And, uh, and I said... I didn't really want to go, but I said, God, I'll do whatever you want for us. And when she said $8,000, I spun around that after I got the heebie-jeebies and the Holy Spirit got, came in me and all kinds of things. I'm like, get me out of this car right now. I thought I was going to have an anxiety attack. I, I looked at her and I said, how did you know that? How did I know what? How did you know about $8,000? I was just saying it. I can't give you a raise of $8,000. I said, well, that's what I've been praying about. No, I'm not going to Tennessee. No, I don't want to continue for this company. Here's my two-week notice. She said, that was quick. I go, yeah, that's how it goes. 
God answered my prayer. At the time, I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be broke as a joke. We're having this. We Actually, Caitlin was just born. I mean, she was about four years old. And I think Beck was pregnant with, uh, sorry, Victoria. I have to go back real quick. Come on, I'm 50 years old. Give me some, give me some slack here. And I had to look back over life and thank God that it's all good. That I know all things work according to His will and to His plan. And listen, that wasn't the first story. I could share 40 more stories with you this morning, but I won't bore you. But I'm telling you, that's a God story that was right in front of my eyes. I wouldn't be your pastor today if I was down there. Although the song came to mind if I ended up going down there, take the long way home. Isn't that some song out there? It, it would have been a long road back and the pain and suffering that we went through. I might have been eating with some pigs. I might have been parting with some swine. But I know that God was there. And I'll say this as I close. Eight months later, both of the Ericsons were stricken with an illness. The very people that they took this precious little girl to was stricken with illness and died within days of each other. Now the baby was turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually took her with them back to America. As a young woman, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. There she met and married a young man by the name of Dewey Hurst. Years passed and the Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in Seattle area. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it. She couldn't read the words, but as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. There in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross. And on that cross were the words, Svea Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight to a college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. What does this say? She asked. The instructor summarized the story. It was about missionaries who had come to Nadalera long ago. The birth of a white baby. The death of the young mother. The one little African boy who had been led to Christ. And how, after the whites had all left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in that village. The article said that gradually he won all of his students to Christ. And the children led their parents to Christ. Even the chief had become a Christian. Amazing story. Today, there were 600 Christian believers in that one village alone. All because of the sacrifice of David and Svea flood. Wow. Isn't that amazing? But you see, that's not the end of the story. Let me continue. For the Hearst 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with the gift of a vacation to Sweden. Their Aggie sought to find her real father, an old man now, David Flood, had remarried. He fathered four more children, and generally 
dissipated his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke, still bitter. He had one rule in his family. Never, never mention the name of God because God took everything from me. And after an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and sisters, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. You can't talk to him, they replied, even though he's very ill now. But you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. He's angry. Aggie was not to be deterred. She walked into the dirty apartment with liquor bottles everywhere. And she approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said tentatively. He turned toward her, and he began to cry. Ina, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. I need you to know, God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. The tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face and his back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued. And Donna, Papa, I have a story to tell you. And it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing and growing. And today, Papa, there's 600 African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. There was silence. She says, Papa, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And he's never hated you. The old man turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body became relaxed. He began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he had resented for so many decades. A few years later, the Hearst were attending an evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from the nation of Zaire, which is the for- former Belgian Congo, the leader of the national church representing some 110,000 baptized believers spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. And Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French, his words then being translated in English. You see, and here's the picture. It was Svea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing hug. Then he continued. You have to come to Africa. You must come to Africa to see. Because your mother is the most famous person in our history. 
in time, that is exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and to give thanks. Later that day in the church, the pastor read from John chapter 12, verse 24. And he said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. It produces many seeds. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But you see, if it dies, it produces many. He then followed it with this. Those who sow with tears will reap with joy. This morning, I was moved because I sat on my floor in my office and I said to God, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. I think sometimes we forget who Christ is. We just celebrated the resurrection. If you're in this room and you don't know him personally, and maybe you've ran away from him, you need to run back. You need to come and fall into the arms of Jesus. It even says in that parable with the prodigal son, He held his face close to his chest and he wiped his eyes. He said, I love you, son. It's all good. Let's rise to our feet. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this message. Father, we thank you for a lady who, through her hardship, being bounced around all over the place, through many homes and families and throughout the world, You still had a purpose. She was predestined to continue to preach the gospel, just like her father and mother. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness and for your grace. Father, thank you for your understanding. For those that are in this room, Father, I pray that you'll just touch the hearts of the people. Lord, and maybe they've been angry. Maybe they've been dealing with loss in their own life and feel alone and abandoned. But Lord, we saw the rest of the story. You blessed Joseph's family. You blessed the prodigal son. You blessed and restored the flood family. So God, today, restore us to a deeper, more meaningful intimate relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray.